This episode of Spawned is brought to you by ChoreCheck, a chore management and allowance app to help parents raise self-sufficient kids who know how to manage their own money. ChoreCheck lets you assign and track chores and pay your kids' allowance electronically. Enroll in ChoreCheck Pay today. Just download the ChoreCheck app or register at chorecheck.com and use the code SPAWNED. They'll put five bucks on your kids' cards when you order. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner and along with Kristen Chase, we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com and as you might have guessed, Kristen is out today. She'll be back next week and I miss her as always. But on today's episode of Spawned, I have a really awesome guest. So don't worry, I'm not going to be just talking for a half an hour by myself. I'm going to be chatting with Sarah Berliner, who's the founder of Vote Like a Mother. We're going to be talking about how moms are shaping the future of the country. And of course, we'll close our show with our cool picks of the week. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Sarah because she is awesome. By background, Sarah Berliner parlayed a degree from Harvard in folklore and mythology. How cool is that? Into a career in cross-platform children's media with a focus on storytelling. So she's touched everything from documentary film to the music business, book publishing, animation, and award-winning digital apps. She founded Vote Like a Mother in 2018 as a social enterprise to make parenthood a lens for politics, to promote voting with empathy, kindness, and ferocity, to amplify women's voices and efforts, and to provide parents with opportunities to contribute, recognizing we all have something to give, whatever that is. Her site sells gear with 100% of profits going to mom-run, impactful nonprofits. She also happens to be a former puppeteer. My gosh, I just learned that. That's so cool. And speaks regularly at conferences at Harvard and beyond. She's a mom of two. She lives in New York. I don't know what she doesn't do. And you know what I like best is she describes herself as coming from a long line of rabble-rousers, which is something I completely relate to. So I can't wait to ask her more about how and why moms can get involved with being the change we want to see in the world. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so glad you're here too. And you know, this is so funny because we've known each other kind of online for a while. A long time. And we just met in person this week and it was like one of those we can't stop talking to each other moments. <laughs> I know. I could have talked to you for many more hours. I know. And we kind of did. So yeah. I'm really glad that you're here and we get to do it now for the Spawn audience because I think you just have so much great stuff to say. So first of all, I just love the story of about how Vote Like a Mother started with a sign. That's so great. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it actually starts in kind of a sad place, but gets to hope. In 2014, my cousin Victor, who was a teenage boy of color, was killed by a police officer in New Mexico. And it devastated our family, as you can imagine. It was this galvanizing moment for me of go beyond posting petitions on social media and actually get involved. You know, like many other people, I think that's a story of how their involvement in a cause, you know, was catalyzed. And I started marching over the Brooklyn Bridge each year with Moms Demand Action. I was donating money. And when the devastating Parkland massacre happened in Florida in 2018, the teen survivors were just so incredible, so moving and inspiring. And when they announced they were doing this mass mobilization called the March for Our Lives, I knew that I would have to go. And I thought about what is my sign going to be? Because I love the visual aspect of protest. I come at it from this sort of political theater and spectacle perspective of 
how can you not just get attention, but how can you spur people to think about an issue a different way? And how can you actually get them to act? You know, that's really the million dollar question. So I was just spitballing the night before the march. And I thought, what does this issue boil down to? Okay, it boils down to getting legislative change to happen so that these terrible events don't occur anymore. And I thought, vote them out. Vote like your life depends on it. Vote like a mother. Oh, like that's that's actually kind of good. And so I just put it on my cardboard with my Sharpie and headed to the march. And on the subway, people started kind of freaking out over my sign. I mean, if you could get New Yorkers to actually make their way through a crowded subway car to the other side, like, you know that you've got something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, people were coming up and taking pictures and it was cross-generational. There were grandmas who were loving it. There were teenagers who were loving it. And it was crossing all sorts of colors and backgrounds. And it was was a response like nothing I've ever had before. My heart started beating really fast. And this whole vision just popped into my head of, okay, the universe smiled on you this time. You had a good idea and you need to do something with it. And I said, I'm, I want it on a t-shirt. I bet all these other people do too. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get this idea out into the world and I'm going to raise money for nonprofits. And I'm going to start this conversation. And maybe if I do it the right way, it'll actually grow into a movement where people are having these conversations about what does it mean to vote like a mother? And that's exactly what's happened. Yay. I'm like applauding silently over here from my (laughs) end of the podcast. That's so amazing. And you know, a lot of us want to start something or do something and we think we need a business plan first. We think we need to have it all thought out from beginning to end. And we don't. Sometimes you can just take the leap. And in fact, when Kristen and I started Cool Mom Picks, which was cool mom shit for the first three days. We thought it was just going to be like a funny, cute, like little blog where we could showcase things moms were doing. We really didn't think of it as a big business. I think it grew because it was from an organic passion for something that we just started. And I love that you did that. You just were passionate and started something without overthinking it. Or did you overthink it? No, no, you're absolutely right. I didn't at all. And I also thought I'm kind of making something that I want that I'm immediately getting feedback. Like it was so clear that this thing that I found compelling, this was my focus group. They didn't know it, but they were like my market research. And I just went for it. And I literally took a loan from my mom to be able to invest in some inventory. I did everything myself. You know, it's still very much a solo enterprise, but just getting going, like it was hard, but it was not impossible. And that is a lesson that I would love to share with people because I, in the moment, was like, oh my gosh, I actually think I'm doing what Oprah says to do. I'm living my best life. Like, you really can do that. <laughs> and, and it didn't take, you know, that much money or that much time to get going. And now, look where you are. Like, I scroll through your Instagram feed at Vote Like a Mother, and I see Cecile Richards wearing your shirt and Julianne Moore wearing your shirt, and you really have touched a nerve with this. It's so great that you went with your gut and just said, I'm just doing this. So we've had a heck of a week. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> These past few days have been insane in the U.S. alone. So the Mueller report dropped. It was the 20th anniversary of Columbine, speaking of mm-hmm. shooting and gun issues. There were hate crime charges leveled against the man 
who set fires to three black churches in Louisiana. It's like it's nonstop. The news cycle is just exhausting. And I feel like right now, and we've discussed this, even if you're not involved with politics and you don't consider yourself political, that a lot of people are sitting up and taking note and wanting to get involved. Like I look at my own Twitter feed and it's filled with chefs and comedians and business owners and techies. And they're all talking about politics and values and the issues that concern them and what's going on in the world and how to make change. It's like it's affected everybody. I mean, I feel like I'm seeing that with a lot of my own friends and colleagues. Are you seeing this kind of trend too? Yeah, there's there's no question. And I think that it comes from more people getting activated and understanding that it's actually not about politics in a way. You know, it's really about who do we want to be as an entire society? How are we going to take care of our elders? How are we going to take care of the next generation? How are we going to take care of ourselves? A lot of leaders right now, and it's not just in the U.S., this is global, come from a place of self-interest, come from a place of greed, come from a place of wanting to grab power and hold on to it. It's not new to the world, but and the data shows this, there is an upsurge in that. And people are feeling that it is dangerous, even people who had the privilege of being complacent before. Mm -hmm. And so what you're seeing is that those people, the people we follow on social media, the somebody who's normally opening a new restaurant or doing their artwork, those people now realize that they have to speak out because we all have to. It's not a limited thing to just people who are being affected by a particular issue. If we want to care, if we want our civilization to survive, we actually have to speak out on behalf of not just ourselves, but other people. I agree with you, obviously. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I once read, and it's really stuck with me, that when government functions well, we don't think about it. Yes. That's true. And when things are broken and damaged, that's when it's like we're thinking about it a lot. And when it's as broken as it is now, we are thinking about it 24-7. So I kind of would like to get back to a place where I don't have to think about the government every single day or politics every single day. But I also wonder if once you've woken up and you see all this stuff, can you ever go back? Do you think we'll ever go back to a place where we don't have to think about this all the time? I think that we will go back to a place where the din is not as loud. But I think we will not go back to a place of complacency because we can't. What I think we discovered is it's people like me and you not being as involved as we should or could be that allowed things to fester, that allowed things that didn't affect us personally to get worse and allowed the body politic to get more more sick. That leads to immigration policies and people deciding, you know, not to care for refugees and, you know, making policies that affect people based on the, the color of their skin. It is right now a time of reckoning with what kind of apathy or privilege or complacency allowed these things to happen. And how do we find a happy medium, you know, where I think under Obama, a lot of people thought like, okay, like things are all right. And they were to a much greater degree, but there were still things happening that people weren't really talking about. Those are things we can't just sort of sweep those back 
under the bed, Mm -hmm. you know, with the monsters in the middle of the night. Like we have to have them out in the open and be talking about them continually, but hopefully at a moment when we're also getting some sleep. Well, what I like though, is that I don't think that you dwell on like guilt or shame or you're not like, oh God, why wasn't I more involved before? You just kind of like pick yourself up from right here and right now and act. That's what I like about your organization is that it's so positive. It's not shaming anybody for not doing enough. It's just like saying, hey, let's get involved. And one thing it says on your website, and this is really important, right under Vote Like a Mother, it says, parenthood is a lens for politics. So what do you mean by that? So I mean looking at the world through the lens of caretaking and empathy, being able to see the world as a place where you have a responsibility to care not just for yourself and your own immediate self-interest, but in the interests of other people, akin to the way a parent sees the world through their children's eyes and what's going to be good for my kids. And I'm going to act accordingly in shaping the world. To me, that means empathy, kindness, generosity. It means inclusivity, working toward justice for all people. For other people, it may mean other things, and I'm absolutely okay with that because I really want to catalyze conversations around it. I just want to get people to think about what it means to them. It does mean something to everybody who comes up to me. I do a lot of Vote Like a Mother pop-ups at events. I do fundraisers, you know, where I'll sell gear and donate all the profits to the nonprofit that's holding it. And people come up to me and they always act as if this has a very specific meaning to them in a way that it relates to their life, even if they themselves are not a mother, because some of them are fathers, some of them are not parents. Some of them are people who maybe didn't have a good relationship with their mother, right? We all come from mothers. Not all of us has a rabble-rousing, you know, amazing feminist mom (laughs) like you and I do, (laughs) right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so what I find is that people come up and they have a whole host of different things in their background, different ideas about what it means to them, but it does mean something specific. The only time that people ever come up to me and ask, well, what does that mean? Typically, they are older men in their 70s and 80s, and they really haven't been able to connect to it from their own lives. And I find that pretty interesting. Because when you think about who's representing us in American government right now, it's that generation and it's that gender. Well, I I will say I like that my dad, who is an older 70-something white man, really likes the (laughs) t-shirt because I wear it a lot. So that's cool. But I'm really grateful also that you talked about non-moms because I think, to be perfectly clear, you do not have to be a mother to be compassionate and giving and nurturing and loving and wanting to make the world better for the next generations. And some of the most active, incredible women I know are not mothers, don't want to be mothers, will never be mothers, but are like doing the Lord's work, as one would say. (laughs) Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I love that you're using it more like an analogy that vote like a mother isn't necessarily about being a mother, but that, you know, caring for the world, there's something nurturing and motherish about it. Exactly. That's the the operative word of like. (laughs) You know, it's not vote as a mother. (laughs) It is vote like a mother. It really is whatever that means to you, because we did all come from mothers. You know, mothers have a very specific 
role in creating us and putting us on the earth to do our work, but it does not in any way mean that you have to be a mother to approach the world in that way. Bravo. I'm all for that. So listen, let's talk about moms specifically, though, because, you know, we don't always get like all the love and respect we deserve, I think. So in what ways do you think moms are shaping the future of the country right now? Like in a literal sense, legislatively, like in what ways do you see moms as kind of doing the work and getting stuff done and making change that matters? Well, in a literal sense, in terms of birthing the next generation and the next wave of voters, right now, millennial moms are a massive force in shaping the future of the country. As of 2018, more than 17 million millennials are moms. They're older, they're more educated, they care more about workplace policies like family leave. And they're more likely to leave partisanship behind, which is a big part of what I'm trying to do is to bridge over left versus right, blue versus red kinds of divides and to say, you know, let's identify as individuals. Millennial moms do that. They make their own decisions. They don't necessarily want to be members of a group or a party. 60%, according to the Pew Research Center, 60% of millennial parents say that being a parent is extremely important to their overall identity. And they enjoy being parents more than Gen Xer parents and more than baby boomer parents. That is encouraging. It really That's is. That's really good. Thank you, Pew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for arming us with some hopeful information for once. So, <laughs> so millennial parents are a huge portion of the workforce. They're more than a third of the U.S. workforce. They made up in 2018 nearly a third of the adult U.S. population. I feel hopeful that the moms of that generation, they're more diverse. They're going to be looking for more inclusivity. They're going to be looking to create opportunities for their children that are more global. And with that perspective, I think attendant to it is an understanding that the world has to be a kinder place. You know, you, you don't get to inclusivity by being mean. You'd think. <laughs> right? You don't get to opportunity by being exclusionist and racist. <laughs> so to me, that is hopeful news, that those parents are going to be raising kids with a feminist lens, with a lens that is about, you know, caring for others and about equality and justice. But let me ask you something, and maybe you don't know the answer to this. Are millennial moms voting? I say this is a Gen Xer, because I know that if you're 18 to, I think, 35, you're like in the least likely by far group to vote, that the percentage of people in that age group that vote, it's very low, disturbingly low. Are you aware whether moms are voting in greater numbers than their peers generally? It's a good question. Um, I don't know any specific numbers, but I remember a stat also from Pew about baby boomers in the 2020 election. Baby boomers will account for fewer than four in 10 eligible voters. Mm. So even when you just look at the demographics of who's eligible to vote, and then from that take a percentage, I think that you're necessarily going to have more younger generations represented. And I know that the number of people who will turn 18 before 2020 
is the largest. They expect the turnout to be bigger for people at the youngest end of the voting eligibility than it's ever been before. That's great. I mean, I know my oldest, who's almost 14 now, so she won't be eligible. Oh, God, it's freaking even think about this. In 2024, she'll be eligible to vote for president. And um, I know her class is chomping at the bit to vote, which is just amazing. It's so cool. And I'm hoping that whatever that generation is called, the post-millennials, is going to usher in a new era of activism from the day they turn 18, if not before. I mean, they're already leading walkouts for gun control and going to marches and like doing incredible things. So um, I'm hoping that their impact pushes us all upward <laughs> and maybe yeah. gets more of us involved as well. Yeah, I think the number of teenage activists that are visible, and this is a reason, honestly, to be grateful for social media when there's sometimes many reasons not to be, but the number of teenage activists that are out there and have a huge following among fellow teenagers, it's really incredible. I mean, when I was in high school and I wanted to organize a protest against using standardized tests as one of the main factors in college admissions, I mean, I had nowhere to turn. I didn't have any idea how to do something like that. And I ended up giving up because I didn't have any resources. You were a young activist. I totally was. It started with the ecology club in ninth grade. I was like, why is, they were calling it global warming then. Like, why is no one getting upset about this? We need to do something about this. Oh my gosh. I was I was a young activist too. And I had the same issue. Yeah. My best friend and I decided, here, this is very us, that it was um, not appropriate to have a denominational invocation at our high school, public high school graduation. <laughs> and the two of us decided to awesome. speak up and say, we really shouldn't have a prayer. And they're like, well, we alternate between priests and rabbis and therefore it's fine. And we were like, no, 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 this is not okay. And people were like, booed us. And they said to sit down. And well, you know, cut to like 15 years later and our public high school actually got rid of it because they said it wasn't constitutional, it wasn't appropriate. So I'd like to think that despite facing the ostracization of our peers and the horrifying feelings that followed, that we were ahead of our times. You actually were. And today, if your kid was doing that, you would be cheering them on and you'd be showing them examples of other kids who are making change at that age. And you'd actually be able to feel supported, right? Like, whereas you didn't feel supported then, now kids can because they can see those examples. So I have to think that kind of visibility is going to lead to turnout, even if older people are more likely to vote. And so the percentages may be higher among the older part of the electorate. Well, I'm going to look at that stat and see what we can learn about mothers as a percentage of voters in general. We'll put that on the podcast page on coolmompicks.com as we always do. But listen, let me ask you one thing to get back to the idea of, you know, how moms are shaping the future of the country. This happened just yesterday. Totally, like, coincidentally, I didn't even realize this when we agreed to talk. Yesterday, I saw on Tammy Duckworth, Senator Duckworth's website, that she issued a press release saying that as of yesterday, the U.S. Senate unanimously agreed to allow all senators to bring their infant children onto the Senate floor, if necessary, during votes while their children are under the age of one. That it says that previously the Senate had banned all children from entering the Senate floor, which could have prevented senators who are new parents from executing their constitutional responsibility of voting on issues of national importance. So this was bipartisan. This was supported by 
everyone, you know, Republicans spoke up and Democrats spoke up and they all said this is important. Parenthood is important. We have to support it and we should be bringing this to the Senate. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this isn't even in the news. Have you heard it in the news? Nothing. Right. Yeah. So what do you think is happening here? Is this just like something we're taking for granted? Is it just that it's getting buried in a busy news cycle? Like, I think it's amazing to have bipartisan and a lot of older dudes as well agreeing that like new motherhood and fatherhood, by the way, like Eric Swalwell was in Congress with his kids, you know, when he was being sworn in. It's amazing to think that that's happening in the Senate now because we're recognizing how important it is to have all kinds of voices there. Agreed. It's hugely important. Moms who are running for office need to see examples of other moms doing that. They need to see that moms who are in office have accommodations that allow them to be both moms and legislators. Tammy Duckworth has been an absolute leader in doing this. And I just am so appreciative. She is a veteran. She's a disabled veteran. She is a combat veteran. She is a mom. She is a total badass. She really is. Uh, I mean, she's just incredible. When she gave birth to her second child last year, she was the first U.S. senator to give birth while in office. What other job on earth can say that there has never been someone in that role who gave birth while doing that job? Male stripper. <laughs> Okay, that's all that's me. all that comes to mind right now. You got me. <laughs> Actually, we posted on uh, Instagram on Cool Mom Picks. I posted a photo of her in her wheelchair wheeling her newborn baby onto the Senate floor for her first vote after having the baby. And I don't think anything ever got more likes on our feed. I mean, people were just so thrilled as yeah. mothers and it just, you know, women in general to see yeah. that happening. So it is historic. And I think sometimes when we think like, oh, change isn't happening, nothing will happen, like there are there are like great changes happening that never would have happened. Like you pointed out, there's no other industry where, except male strippers, where (laughs) somebody wouldn't have given birth and gone back to work, right? And here it is for the first time after 200 plus years of the Senate. There's an organization called Vote Mama that was started on Long Island by Luba Gretchen Shirley, who was a candidate for Congress. Sure. Luba Uh herself is amazing. She was the first candidate to petition, I believe, at all, but certainly to successfully petition the Federal Election Commission to have campaign funds actually cover childcare expenses during the course of campaigning. Because what happens is a lot of moms who, you know, might want to run for office are not able to because of, you know, oh, my husband's career, you know, he can't take time off. So I've got to be the primary caregiver. It means that men are just more likely to run for office. I mean, for a whole host of reasons, this only being one. But she said, you know, campaign funds are used for all sorts of candidate expenses to allow people generally to run for office. Mm -hmm. Why isn't childcare one of them? And she got support from Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton, all these people. And it was a unanimous decision by the FEC to allow it. And now that's precedent. So all these other female candidates are now using that decision to be able to petition the FEC and allow their campaign funds to cover childcare. And it's opening up the ability for moms to run for office. Right now in Congress, it is less than 5% moms with young children representing people in Congress, less than 5% of people in Congress. So for legislation to take families into account and to take moms into account, 
we need more moms there being part of that conversation and being part of crafting those bills. She did not win, unfortunately, although I'm one of the people hoping that she'll get back in the game for 2020. Luba started a pack and it's called Vote Mama and it is specifically supporting moms running for office, identifying candidates, training them, supporting them, raising money for them. Their endorsement has meaning and they're able to drive funding to those campaigns. So to me, that is a natural outgrowth of things like the revolutionary Tammy Duckworth being a sitting senator, giving birth and getting the Senate to change those rules, is how do we actually put the mechanism in place so we get more Tammy Duckworths. Yes. And to put a fine point on something you just said, I think it's important to note that it's not that the end game is to just support moms through this legislation. It's not like, yay, now moms get support and can run for office. It's that it enables more kinds of voices to be among our representatives. And that includes moms and young mothers and young fathers. And that means we get more voices, more perspectives. When you see the world through the eyes of a new mom, it's very different than seeing it through the eyes of an old grandfather. (laughs) And it's going to help you understand more about like what kids are going through, what they care about, what's happening with daycare, what's happening with universal pre-K and kindergarten. It impacts quality of life for all of us to have more diverse voices, and that includes mothers. So I'm glad that you brought up that it brings more people into the fold. So listen, we can't all run for office. Yes. Every so often someone goes, you should run for office. And I'm like, that will never happen. (laughs) I am a writer, not a campaigner. But you know, I think a lot of us want to help in some way, and we don't all have zillions of dollars. We can't all host huge fundraisers. So where do we find the organizations that are making meaningful impact where if we have a little bit to give or a little time to volunteer that we can do something? Because there's so many. You've even brought up a few today. Like, is there a good place to do research on organizations that are impactful and meaningful and helpful to families? Well, I've tried to make the Get Involved page on my website. On votelikeamother.org. Yeah, exactly. Let's promote it. It's votelikeamother.org. I'm here for you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) The Get Involved tab has a lot of organizations that are interested in using the perspective of moms to drive legislation, to lobby, and to support moms, like creating organizational structures at a community level that support moms. You know, some of the mom-led and mom-focused organizations at a national level are really doing fantastic work and are absolutely worth supporting, whether you can volunteer with them, whether you can donate to them, um, whether you can simply, you know, maybe you work two jobs and, you know, you don't have time or money, but you're active on social media, you know, in those five minute windows between things, and you want to just promote what they're doing and get people to sign their petitions and make calls to legislators. Moms Rising is a fantastic one. Mm -hmm. Another one that I did mention is Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And Moms Demand partners with Everytown for Gun Safety, which is Mayor Bloomberg's organization, which was a coalition of mayors um, bipartisan across the country to talk about common sense gun control laws. And uh, I love that they joined forces and have been so impactful in Congress. Yes, it's fantastic. And Moms Demand Action has become the grassroots arm of Everytown. So when you see pictures of a bunch of moms and mom advocates and accomplices 
who are not moms, because there are plenty of those people, they're wearing red t-shirts. Mm -hmm. They're going to advocacy days on the capitals of wherever they live, whatever state. They are staying overnight when legislation is being debated into the wee hours. They are there. They are being present and they are raising their voices. And those volunteers from Moms Demand Action are just among the most committed year-round civic participants that I have ever seen. They really are. I have this ongoing query on my social media. What can year-round civic participation look like? And I try to answer that with a lot of different models because it is this question of, do you have five minutes a day? Do you have five days a week? Do you have something in between to give? And do you, do you have money to give, time to give, your voice and your platform? The Moms Demand Action volunteers, when I get to highlight them and show the incredible work that they're doing and doing it with such joy and enthusiasm and, of course, at times deep pain because many of them are survivors of gun violence, mm-hmm. it's just really, um, it's very inspiring to me. The passion that they bring to it it is so clear that this is a cause that motivates them and they have figured out exactly what they can do to affect change and they are effective in doing so. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another resource that you linked to that wasn't familiar to me that I found on your page was momdirectory.org. That was just filled with political and advocacy organizations that are focused on women and families. And I didn't even know about this. It's a really good resource. So thank you, because I found that because of you. Yeah, well, that was actually part of starting Vote Like a Mother. When I sat down after having the idea and started doing my research, you know, just over a year ago, I had not heard of Moms Rising. And I thought, okay, if I'm as active as I am, and yes, I have little kids and I'm not paying attention to every single thing that I could be, but if I didn't know about their work, how many millions of other potential supporters are there for Moms Rising who should know? So I really wanted to become this megaphone. You know, I say sometimes it's about passing the mic, like getting the attention of passing the mic to organizers who are doing the work on the ground, having the daily struggle. I don't just want to be a mic. I want to be a megaphone. And the mom directory is one of those resources that really should have a lot of attention because they're doing such great work to highlight all these different mom-centric and family-centric organizations that like, I had never heard of. Some of them are in communities, some of them are national, and they're tackling a whole variety. It's LGBTQ plus rights. It is anti-white supremacy. It is reproductive rights. It's legal rights. It's rights for immigrants, but all coming to it from a women's perspective. And it's not a partisan site, although I will say that you know, I think that a lot of these social issues have a liberal bent <laughs> by definition, the yeah. way conservative government is these days. But it really is, you know, welcoming to all different kinds of people. And I think that's really cool. And that's where we can make the most impact. So listen, let me just ask you one more question. And then we're going to move on to cool picks of the week, right? Yeah, let's do it. Good. <laughs> okay, so you write that your mission is to achieve the world we want, one that's just equitable and sustainable for the long term. Do you think that we're going to make significant progress on this in our lifetimes? That is a really tough one. I am overall a hopeful person. And I do believe the amount of activism that we're seeing and the amount of people taking action, speaking out has got to have an effect. 
what concerns me is the darker forces that you know, are in the news right now in terms of technology being manipulated, in terms of opinions, you know, being manipulated and stories being spread. Those are omnipresent and no one's figured out a good way to filter that. Yes. So, yes. And maybe it's a mom who's listening right now who's going to figure that out. We have a lot of really high tech, super smart moms who listen. (laughs) I hope so. So I guess that's about keeping hope alive. Like you talked about, you know, one of the cool things about being a mother is getting to raise the next generation to do good and hopefully better than we did. Yeah, I don't remember who said it, but motherhood is nothing if not a hopeful act. Ah, I love that. That's beautiful. What a great way to end. This was such a good discussion, Sarah. Thank you so much. And listen, where can our listeners learn more about you or contact you or chat with you? I know you're at votelikeamother.org. What is your favorite social media channel of choice? Social media channel of choice, definitely Instagram, where I'm at Vote Like a Mother. Second most traffic in terms of my attention is Facebook. And there it's at Go Vote Like a Mother. So just add the G-O before Vote Like a Mother. I do a little bit of Twitter, but I'm not totally Twitter fluent. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who wants to uh, engage me there, you know, I'm happy to dive in deeper. So feel free. Thank you so much. Well, listen, we're going to be back with our cool picks of the week right after this. Well, we are so happy to welcome back our sponsor, ChoreCheck. We have been getting a ton of great feedback from our listeners about them, and that makes me happy because we all love when the awesome brands who are kind enough to sponsor Spond are the stuff that you all love as much as we do. So ChoreCheck, for those of you who have not yet downloaded it, and you should right now, ChoreCheck.com, it's a very clever chore management and allowance app that helps parents in many ways. First, it lets you assign and track chores. Second, it teaches kids to be honest because they have to complete the chores, then send them to you for approval, so no cheating. And it lets you pay your kids' allowances electronically, so you don't forget, like I always do, I admit it. And above all, it teaches kids how to be self-sufficient, financially savvy, and learn how to save, how to spend responsibly, and even how to be charitable with the money they earn from chores. When you enroll in ChoreCheck Pay today, all you have to do is download the ChoreCheck app from iTunes or Google Play, or register at ChoreCheck.com, Make sure to use the code SPOND, that's SPOND, at chorecheck.com because they will put five free bucks, five bucks, real money, on your kids' cards when you order. So, Sarah, now it's time for one of our favorite parts of the show each week. Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! As our guest, you get to go first. What's cool? I am currently loving my friend Sage Lehman's lip balm brand that is just like the most buttery emollient thing I have ever put on my skin. Do you know our listeners are like obsessed with our beauty picks? They're going to be so grateful that you're giving one. It's fantastic. Her name is Sage Lehman. She's the founder. It's called Love and Sage. So Sage is just one of those moms that I have always had the, how do we get parabens out of what we give our kids? And how do we get, you know, things that are just like made by nature? And how do we avoid all the endocrine disrupting and like having completely nerding out conversations over the chemicals that face us in our daily lives. And she actually went and did something about it. And I'm just so proud of her. And she's like built it into this amazing mom run business. And to top it off, the products literally are just the best thing ever. So Ooh, I'm so excited. Plus my daughter who is obsessed with lip balm and whose name is Sage. Oh my gosh. We'll be very course. excited yes. to own something called Love and Sage. So I think her birthday gift, Chuck, just figured it out. Thank you. That's a great pick. Okay, I have 
a cool pick this week. That is for anyone who lives in New York and who is visiting New York. People may know if you follow me, my personal feed on Instagram, Mom101. I write a lot about Broadway and the shows that I'm seeing because I have theater-obsessed kids. And that's what we do with our free time. Instead of seeing sports or traveling or anything else, we see theater. And so this week, we went and saw Beetlejuice on Broadway, which just opened in previews. Sarah, it's hilarious. (sighs) I can't wait Were to go. Were you fans of the movie? Oh, hugely. Oh, my gosh. Hugely, like, influential. Yes, I loved the movie, right? It was amazing. The cast was incredible. It was so funny. The great production design and Michael Keaton. So I will admit I had kind of low expectations for the play. I wasn't so sure how it would translate, if it would be good, if it would be corny, if they would just kind of take the script and put in songs and it would be exactly the same as the movie. It is so awesome. It's so great. It's just funny and smart and witty. It's very irreverent. I would say tweens and teens, you have to be cool with like some F-bombs and, you know, jokes about death and sex and child brides. And it's very (laughs) self-referential. They definitely kind of make jokes about like all the things that were cool in Beetlejuice, like in an 80s, 90s movie that would not be cool today. And the cast is wonderful. And I loved it. So if you're heading to New York City anytime soon and you're like, hmm, what should I see with my older kids? I would definitely put that on the list. It's hard to find a cross-generational Broadway musical that's like really cross-generational and you're not just like one of the people attending is just humoring the other person. <laughs> <you know? laughs> that's a great point. I have I have done both. So that's my <laughs> cool pick of the week. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for joining us. This was a great episode and I really hope that it inspires our listeners to learn that they are part of the change they want to see in the world. I love it. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Number 150, by the way. So this was a very special one, and we're glad you were here. Extra thanks, as always, to our engineer, John Bowen. And hey, we love hearing from you. So please leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars would do the trick. Make sure to subscribe. In fact, you can do it right now while you're listening. And be sure to download our episodes so you never miss one. Have you joined our Spawned podcast community yet on Facebook? You can find it through the link on our podcast page or just go to Facebook where you all are anyway. We know it. And search Spawned podcast community and it'll come right up. You'll see it. You'll find us. You'll join. We'll laugh. We'll have drinks. It'll be great fun. We talk about absolutely anything you want to talk about. You can ask anything. It really is a good place. Like one of the happy places on social media. So be a good friend. Tell other friends about Spawned. And hey, thanks so much for listening. This is Liz. Kristen will be back next week. Have a great day. Oh, 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 oh